Welcome to The Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club, here to check in with you weekly to share your remote working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone, and acknowledge that there's many of us outside of your living room, kitchen, spare room, car, all sailing through this crazy storm together whilst trying to be the best coach, leader, manager, and quite frankly, human being we can possibly be. I'm Susie Hunt, business coach, leadership and sales mentor at Future You Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, parenting a one-year-old who certainly does not like being questioned. And I'm Lisa Robinwood, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader, and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo, which suffocates rather than advocates. In this podcast, we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment, masks and social distancing measures included. Each episode will present different topics, which we will explore and discuss with some support from some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints and tips as we go. We won't tell you what to do because we hate that, but we'll share and invite you to take away what you want. We hope you enjoy listening. In today's episode, we explore the subject of managing performance virtually. That can be good performance and also not so great performance and how you prepare and facilitate those conversations to move forward whilst working in a remote setting. So stay with us and enjoy. So before we get into this week's episode, Lisa, how are you? I would be better, Susie, if my house was not being overrun by builders on on podcast recording day. To be quite honest, I have done my best. I've asked them to be quiet. I just don't think it's possible. I don't think they're able to be quiet. Now, I have to admit, I'm having quite substantial work done here, irritatingly. Like, couldn't happen at a worse time, but we couldn't avoid it any longer. It's one of those do it now or your house falls down moments. Uh, okay. So it's an interesting environment with obviously the situation with COVID. But yes, I've asked them to be quiet. I don't think that it's, I don't think they can be. So it, it, apologies to everyone. If in the background you hear an almighty bang or a drill or someone shouting an expletive, <laughs> uh, it, could be, it, it, it could be me actually that's shouting the expletives. Um, but I've done my best. So let's just hope that our magical wonder whiz that is Dave, our editor, can do something about sound quality. And yeah. if you can't, forgive me, everyone. I will do better next time. <laughs> Well, shout out to Dave. Hi, Dave. Dave's part of our, like, he, he sits in the background as part of our, our little podcasting team. I don't think he's uh, been mentioned before, so thought I'd give him a little shout out there. Oh, yeah, um, totally. Dave Clark, producer, epic bloke who has taken on the challenge of <laughs> managing, <laughs> managing us, the coaching <laughs> cast, and dealing with all of our editing demands, requests. I don't know, like, <laughs> things where I'm literally like, oh... Can you uh, enhance X, Y, Z? I think he's probably thinking, I'm not some sort of magician, love. (laughs) You sound and look as you do. That's about as best as I can offer. (laughs) 
he's probably immediately regretting taking on working with us uh, right now. But um, well, I'll keep a lookout in case uh, Bob the Builder crops up and, and walks behind you in the background. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be quite entertaining if that is the case. Oh, no, look, they've started again. Right, quick. Go. It's, it's like comedy, <laughs> comedy timing. They knew. They knew yeah. we were talking about them. Honestly. But how are you, Suze? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. Um, my week's been um, fine in terms of again living in lockdown. Uh, in these, uh, starting to get a bit. You're still living in now. lockdown. You're still, you're still living in lockdown. Really? Yeah. No way. Oh my god. <laughs> so boring now. Um, but I've got, uh, I've got really into. I don't know if you've watched it. Uh, Married at First Sight, Australia. Oh, I haven't. But one of my best mates absolutely loves it. So when I was in hospital, I had a bit of time on my hands, you know, just kind of chilling uh, like you do. So I, I downloaded it and started watching it and I got really into it. Now, anyone who follows us on Instagram will know um, when I um, introduced myself on Instagram a few few months ago, I am obsessed with a reality TV. Like I love reality TV. I love anything Real Housewives based. That's my favourite. I love Below Deck with Captain Lee. And I've got really into um, Married at First Sight Australia. However, I didn't realise that there was 42 episodes. Um, And I'm currently on episode 25. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like a full-time hobby trying to get... And they're an hour long. So that's a lot of time I have already dedicated to watching Married at First Sight Australia. And my goodness to dedicate to get to the end of the series like I'm too far in now do you know what I mean like I can't stop now and it's also really good yeah I personally haven't watched it but I've got a best mate who loves it and says it's incredible I am not a reality tv show watcher though so I've started binging Schitt's Creek that's I'm a late comer to that for sure but I love it I haven't watched that oh my gosh Moira what a legend I want to be Moira I think I could be in the future um (laughs) And the other series that I've started to watch that I absolutely love as well, it's just so cringingly wonderful, is Sex Education. Okay. Which, again, I'm late to the party on. Oh, my God. Gillian Anderson in that is hot as ever. Who who knew you could rock like an all-white crop virtually? She is amazing. I also wish that my school was as sexually, like, driven as as uh, yeah as this one is in this program there's no way it was that's a whole other story that we won't need to go into today I also went to an all-girls school and I don't care what anyone says the stereotypes about those types of institutions are not technically true but yeah all I'm saying is if only I was 16 and at this school I just I wasn't and I'm, I'm yeah enough said probably on that subject right on to uh, on to the discussion for today I think <laughs> Sorry, I just need to like grab a second to compose myself from that from that conversation there. <laughs> right. All right, well, uh, should we uh, should we get chatting? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. In today's episode, we are chatting to special guest Helen Franklin, people and organisational development specialist at Free to Lead Consulting. Helen has been instrumental over the last 20 years in positively shaping many organisational cultures, leading to industry-wide accolades. She has been a key player in supporting leaders and managers to thrive in their roles and careers through her passion and dedication to providing pragmatic training and personable coaching. 
Helen's story began as a computer systems engineer in the rail industry, but she quickly realized she was more interested in what made people tick than in solving technical problems. Through a personal mantra to be the best person she could be, she has reinvented herself a number of times in her career with qualifications in HR, coaching and organizational development. During her time heading up talent and learning for a global organization, Helen managed to team virtually with four of her team in Chicago, way before the days of Zoom or team meetings being a thing. She quotes this part of her career as providing one of her highlights, winning a prestigious Line Manager Excellence Award. Helen set up her own business six years ago, which supports leaders in being free to lead in their work, careers and their lives. Helen, welcome to the Coaching Cast. We are so excited to chat with you today. Thanks, Susie. It's great to be here. I'm excited too. Brilliant stuff. So, yeah, today we're going to be talking uh, about the topic of managing performance, um, which I know now is kind of done in, in a slightly different environment uh, in the virtual world compared to um, 18, two, 18 months, two years ago, when perhaps a lot of these conversations and interactions were happening in a more uh, office environment, face-to-face. Uh, so that's the obviously the subject we're going to be talking about and, and exploring uh, with you today. So, Helen, an impressive story there uh, with many experiences on, uh, on the topic today. So with that in mind, um, what does managing performance mean for you? Yeah, thanks, Susie. And thanks for the intro as well. That certainly felt good. <laughs> um, I think in imagine performance to me is it's a recognition, actually, as a manager of the, the impact you can have on a person and that your role in that is to create conditions where they can be successful. And whether we're working virtually or face to face, it's really thinking about what can I do to set that person up for success? And it's not just about the conversations. Of course, those are really important, but it's what we can do over the long term as well. So performance management is everything from setting somebody up in the right role where they can really play to their best strengths, um, set their expectations, what they need to do, both in terms of results and behaviours, give them the best conditions to do well, give them feedback, recognition and monitor progress. Um, And that's really it in a nutshell from, from my perspective. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I like the, those kind of um, three quite clear elements in, in that kind of approach there, which was around, you know, setting them up in the right role, giving them the best conditions to uh, thrive and, and be successful. Because as, as leaders, obviously, that's what the, our main job is, is to empower people to do that and, and then monitor that uh, that progress there. How do you think that virtual, this new kind of virtual way of working, although it's not actually that new anymore, is it? We've been doing it for for probably quite a long time now. Um, But how do you think that virtual way of working we've been in has impacted how we effectively now manage performance? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think I was reflecting on this thinking, do you know what, even for the people that have done performance management virtually for a long time it's different for them as well because probably even for those people they were having the actual performance conversations face to face so you might be you know in different countries but ultimately you're probably going to come together for that really important conversation so it's changed because we are now having more of these zoom type conversations and 
we have different assumptions about that. You know, we're, we're feeling like we can't see people's body language so well. We're not sure how to read what's going on. And then all of those human assumptions come into our heads. So, you know, oh, they're not going to understand what I'm putting across to them, or perhaps they're not self-aware enough to know that something isn't going right, or I'm not going to be able to do this in a way that's going to be really supportive. So all of those things are happening, I think, exacerbated by being in this new situation. So um, I think in some ways that the best way to think about what's changed is it's recognising that we have to be a bit more deliberate about how we communicate, not just in the conversation, but over the long term as well. So building really strong relationships, really getting below the skin of who somebody is so we can empathise, show a bit of compassion and care, actually, and recognise that when we're having these conversations, they're much easier if we've done that over the long term. Yeah, that more deliberate piece, like you said, in how we communicate, I think that's really crucial um, in how we manage those conversations, like you said. Do you think that's become even more important um, during the last kind of 12 months or so in, in the pandemic? I think so. I think um, <clears throat> because a lot of people are going through change, so both managers and their employees are all going through different things. Um, so it's, first of all, you've got to be really You've got to check in on yourself first before you can communicate with somebody else. You've got to understand where you are, what's going on for you. Try and get yourself in the best position to have a conversation where it can be really focused and attentive on that other person. And also be mindful they're going through stuff as well. You know, we've all got, whether it's a dog barking or, you know, child homeschooling or elder pair, elder parent care, whatever it might be. These are all happening. They're not just going to go away while having a poor performance conversation. So I think it's that recognition that you've got to be in the moment with what's yeah. going on and have a conversation with that in mind okay brilliant Lisa I know you're probably itching to ask Helen a question <laughs> oh I don't know what makes you say that um, <laughs> I was practicing my best listening skills right there um, I love what you said about the deliberate conversation when you think of deliberate conversations how would you describe those, Helen? And from the perspective of ha how to have them, what would what would your recommendations be? Yeah, so that there are a few key things that come up for me, particularly when working virtually, thinking about these conversations. So one thing that I found really useful that I've worked with managers on is levelling the playing field, having a bit of a quality in this conversation. So as we know, generally, when you think about hierarchy, and managers here and the employee thinks of themselves here. So that mm -hmm. automatically puts them at disadvantage and a feeling of, oh, I'm going to get feedback at me. Um, and then we get a bit defensive before we even know what it is. So I like to try and equalise the playing field. And one way to do that is to set up the expectation that you are going to ask for feedback yourself as a manager at the end of the conversation. So if, if you say to the person you're about to have a conversation with, um, you know, this is a, a forward focused conversation. It's about seeing what's going well. It's about working out if there's anything I can do to support you going forward. Um, at the end of it, you know, I'm, I'm learning still. I'd love it if you give me some feedback. What have you liked about this conversation? What could be even better next time? And that starts to level out the dynamic and it feels less threatening. And you're being vulnerable as a manager, which is kind of demonstrating that it's OK to be completely honest and open. So that's one tip that I would use. Yeah, which is a great one. And I think actually this was a learning I had during my career as, as a, a manager, especially um, a junior manager. I think at, when I very first started, I felt so much pressure with the responsibility of what being a manager was. 
and how I had to lead the conversation, be directive, give the feedback. And I'm sure I absolutely clobbered people with it because <laughs> I had such um, intention to take action and make progress without recognising possibly the best way to do that and the, the, you know, the timing and the pace of it and the tone. And so with all best will in the world, I think I just ploughed into conversations often and sometimes just to get it done because I am that sort of person where my preference is to be very direct because I just want it out of myself. I want it out of my body because that's how I then better manage and process it and deal with it, irrelevant of how anyone else is feeling on my own. And so actually as a junior manager, I think I really was, I did plough. I mean, that's how I think of it, plough into conversations. And often after one-to-ones, whether it was actually a positive um, or a constructive, maybe a more challenging conversation, I'd feel equally exhausted because of how much I had put into it. And, and I mean that in terms of, you know, how much I'd poured into it, actually. And always feeling really um, quite deflated by the end of it because I hadn't got anything really back from the other person. Well, what a shocker. You know, that's no surprise because I'd probably stun that poor person into absolute silence. They're probably traumatised more than anything else. Um, and I went on like that for a couple of years and thinking, God, like, this is not enjoyable and I don't think I'm getting any value from it. I'm not giving enough value and I'm not getting a great response as a result. And it was actually only through, you know, probably learning more the hard way that I realized, oh, my responsibility is to facilitate, not to, um, not to tell, not to direct. Actually, I can facilitate a conversation. And actually that became a lot more enjoyable when I could draw out of um, individuals what they were thinking, what they wanted and that definitely came from what you've said of rebalancing the whole thing and being very much around, actually, it's about give and take and, and how can I enable that person to give me things that will help them as well as myself. And those conversations then became so much more productive and, as I said, enjoyable and so much less draining, probably for both of us. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, it's a, it's a great point around balance. And I think recognising that just because you're a manager or a leader doesn't mean you're the one who has to have everything to get. Do you know what I mean? Like, so much of the joy of managing is when it's reciprocated. You've got a partnership and you're giving okay. and taking from one another. And that only comes yeah, really from asking questions and being curious and creating that space of safety like trust where when you ask for feedback it's not something that the other person should think has a hidden agenda or is frightened of and the apologies to anyone can... I've ever managed like about 10 years ago it's horrendous <laughs> listening oh, to this worry. going oh my god I've still got scars later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've, but that's the thing isn't it we've all done it as managers mm. you know everybody had to be a new manager once and I think that's what new managers need to recognize that I think if you're honest with your team, I'm new, I'm doing the best I can, I really want the best for you, and yeah. you're open to feedback, that's that's a great start. And, and you also use the word, Lisa, curiosity, and that's something else I was going to raise, because I think if you go in with a curious stance rather than a, I'm going in to give you feedback, then you're in a much better place, particularly when working virtually, because if you're used to being face-to-face with someone where you can sit by them and look at their work and see them behaving and give feedback in a corridor conversation, that's gone now. So you've got to be thinking to yourself, if I'm going to have a conversation where I think I'm going to give some feedback, I might not actually know the full reality because I'm not seeing everything as much as I used to. So can I give an example? Like, let's just think about, yeah, yeah, so if we, if we think about, um, let's just say I manage a, a guy called, 
called John. And one of his responsibilities is to give me a report every two weeks. And he's been doing that over the last six months. And it's really important because this report then goes to my manager and it manages a load of stakeholders. So let's just say that John stopped giving me this report about, you know, I don't know, maybe a month ago. I've eventually plucked up courage to have a conversation with John about it because that's sometimes how it goes, isn't it? You know you need to, but you haven't. Uh, There are two ways I could do it, right? So one might be, John, you've stopped giving me that report. I don't know what's going on, but it's not good enough. And you know that my manager needs that report and it's just got to change and I want it different from next month. Done, right? (laughs) Or we could say, John, I've noticed that the report hasn't been coming in for the last two weeks, but six months before that, we, you know, every two weeks it was coming in without fail. So I've got to think there's some conditions or something going on here that I'm not aware of. And I'd love to explore that with you. Just tell me more about it. And when it comes to giving feedback, I know when people have said, well, what tips do you recommend? One of them that I've always stressed so loudly is do not assume you understand what has happened because the version of what you see and of experience is quite likely to be hugely different for the person who you're directing that feedback to. You don't know what is going on for them. You don't know why necessarily what happened happened. You don't know the background to the choices that they made in that moment. You have to explore it to then ensure that actually your feedback is relevant and accurate. Because actually once you get the facts in the situation, your feedback may be completely different. And that's it, isn't it? It's about being a productive, actually enjoyable conversation. There's no reason why it shouldn't yeah. be. This is for someone's benefit, ultimately. And even if there is something that needs to have some feedback, even if you get to the point where you've explored it together, perhaps that person for themselves has realised, obviously, like you say, you're using coaching questions to ask them what happened and what might you do differently next time. It's always with that future focus. It's not mm. so much about, oh, you did wrong in the past. It's more about what can we do different going forward? And, and if you recognise, if you've got that relationship, this is why I'm talking about the long-term piece, that you build that relationship week in, week out, day in, day out. Um, when you get to having a more formal conversation, it's just another conversation. It's not this mm. big milestone event that everyone gets really worried about. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, actually... That probably links in um, really well at this point about us probably for the listeners, maybe defining what performance can mean, (laughs) because I think so for me, I've come from a sales background um, and I also managed people uh, and a team as well. So performance to me has a number of different kind of um, definitions. So it's about um, managing a number performance on, on a weekly, daily basis, but also managing the performance of um, my people and my team as well through their own development and their own personal performance. Um, So with that in mind, to help kind of, I suppose, bring the concept of performance to life a little bit more for the listener, Helen, how would you define um, kind of performance in the way that we're kind of talking about it today in in managing it virtually? I think you've covered a lot of it, actually, Susie. I mean, I think think the the piece that's really important that people sometimes forget is the behavioural element. So while okay. we might know really, especially when you're in sales, you've got really clear targets, haven't you? Your KPIs are really clear. And that's something that um, is really important to focus on for sure. But the how you get there is really important as well. And I think that element of performance isn't always um, given the emphasis that it needs. And that, again, when you're working virtually, um, I mean, particularly, I think when you're in a sales environment, it's harder anyway. You're not with your sales associates or employees all the time, are you? You can't be. It's how do you get 
a sense of what that performance is for me and behaviorally as well and I think you have to be a bit more canny about it and it's partly about obviously getting accounts from the person themselves but who else has seen that performance and how else can you get a handle on it particularly when you're not with them so I think for me um, yes it's about the results and the, and the targets but it's also let's not forget that ultimately we want people to behave in a certain way within an organization there's a set of standards probably maybe even within a team and, and for that person themselves what are they also going to be developing so their performance in terms of their personal growth mm-hmm. whether it's for the current role or a future role there's always that feeling of progression as well I think for people yeah have you seen that um approach which we've been talking about so far around how we manage performance. Have you ever seen that uh, work really well? Have you got an example of of where somebody or or a particular organisation has absolutely nailed it? <laughs> I, do you know what? I think it's hard to say that a whole organisation nails it because it's so. I, for me, it's so individual in terms of management skills. Okay. And um, and this is this is why I feel that yes a particular culture and climate can really help if you've got an organization where they're really people focused they've got great leadership development you know your new managers aren't just thrown in the deep end they get management skills training and they get a mentor and all the rest of it you're more likely to have great performance for sure but it's it's primarily I think people have got to really want to be a manager for the right reasons so it's Mm -hmm. not just about the next pay grade it's not just about I'm making progress for myself it's because I genuinely care about people and want them to develop Um, I've been really fortunate recently to do a load of interviews with senior leaders globally across a corporation who are looking at what what did it take to get them to general manager roles and I would say um, about 80% of them the biggest priority for them was you have to really care and like people and if you don't be an entrepreneur you shouldn't be you shouldn't be leading people so I think (laughs) I think I guess if I had to answer that question I'd say it's it's organizations where they've done their selection right they've got the right people in the manager roles so they've got the right attributes they care about people and then the performance kind of flows from there and I think um to build on that as well I think an element of trust becomes really important as well in that relationship and in that interaction because I've um I've had a friend recently actually who uh, has been trying to manage somebody's performance not so great performance um in uh, recent times and has left it until the formal kind of end of year conversation uh to give that feedback that things aren't quite where they need to be and so um, that person's particular rea- reaction was very extreme um, when when they got that feedback. And I think one of the elements we were discussing together was actually probably for each other, the trust had um, changed, like the, the levels of trust had just it, it eroded away to an extent. Uh, and that's where to, one of your points before about having that consistent communication and being that kind of um, role modeling what that looks like on a daily and weekly basis in terms of that good leadership model and how you manage performance in that way just it's so important isn't it because if that trust is gone it's so hard to rebuild yeah you're so right and I mean trust is the foundation I don't know I'm sure you're both familiar with the Lencioni model of you know the five behaviors trust is the foundation of that he basically says for a team to be cohesive You've got to have trust. You can't build up the ladder of all the great performing things you need to do. Um, And it feels to me as though I completely understand why managers procrastinate about giving feedback, you know, for all those assumptions we talked about earlier. But in some ways, I think you have to tell yourself, you know, I'm going to break that trust that I've built 
by not respecting that person enough to take my courage and gather it up and go in and have that conversation. And something I tell managers that I work with that really helps them is a couple of things to be aware of. So one, there's some research, I think it was Harvard, that says 60% of managers would rather get constructive feedback than praise because they want to improve. So that's quite interesting. Even more importantly, if you actually don't give someone feedback, they feel ignored. And that's even worse. It's actually better to give feedback badly than not to give any feedback at all. Yeah. That kind of takes the pressure off. It kind of is, like you say, if you've got the trust there, you want to maintain that trust. Go in and have that conversation as soon as you can. You're going to maintain trust by doing that rather than putting it off. I think it takes away that fear, doesn't it, of like, am I doing enough? Which we all think about from time to time in our jobs and careers. And I think if you're having that, you know, regular dialogue with constructive feedback, <laughs> I emphasize that, um, it helps that person then alleviate those thoughts and, and fears. I couldn't agree more because yeah. I think, you know, for me, I think it's changing the way you think about your role as a manager and what you determine helping someone as being. So I do think, especially in the culture within you know the British culture there is this kind of belief of or helping people is about being nice but it's so much more varied and complex than that and actually the role of a manager you're helping someone by being honest by being real by supporting them and actually you're not really helping anyone if you're pretending all is great if it's actually not and by saving up the feedback, like in your example there, Susie, by saving all that feedback up till the end of the year, well, you're holding that person back from being better than they currently are by Beth, you know, and actually if you're telling them at the end of the period, well, they can't do anything about it anymore. So you've actually restricted them because you've taken away potential choices and options that they just couldn't see. And actually, I think getting into your mindset, the the purpose of the feedback. And and again, this is something I often say is think about feedback as being helpful information. You're giving them information that they may not already have so that it gives them more choices about what they can do and what they can do differently and potentially even better. Now, what they choose to do with it is out of your control, you know, and they may choose not to listen to your feedback. They may choose therefore to ignore the options they have and if that has subsequent consequences well technically they've made the choice to to put up with that then but at least you've given them the choice rather than in your attempt to protect them and possibly yourself because it was possibly going to be a bit difficult you know and you've held them back kind of thing that's kind of how I think about it which is why I think your point about consistency is so crucial because actually the more you do it the easier it becomes because it's it's commonplace and I know in organizations I've worked in where performance conversations have um, been successful and been done well it's where the culture already was to be having feedback regularly maybe sometimes a bit too much if I'm honest but I'd rather have too much than none or not enough and the culture very much was one around let's have conversations and anyone had them with you. You had them with the people you managed. You had them with your manager. Your manager had them with you. Your peers had them with you. 
you know, my peers were always giving me feedback whether I wanted it or not. Um, usually something to do with that chief eye rolling thing that I did <laughs> because I used to have the most expressive faces in meetings as, as in very much like a kind of, oh God, what a lot of crap um, and get told off about it mercilessly. Um, but, you know, my peers would often be like, when you did that, that was really unhelpful. And uh, what I would ask is that you don't do that again because you made me feel like this. And I'd be like, oh, God. But we had that kind of relationship. But that, that consistency of conversation built trust. And, and, the, and it wasn't painful as such because I trusted the intention. I knew it came from a good place. But that only, you only create that over, over time. Yeah, yeah. I think that that positive intention has got to be really clear, hasn't it? And then whatever conversation you're having, people know it's coming from a good place. And I think the other thing that I just wanted to add was those speaker conversations are not just for people who aren't performing well. You know, you've got to remember that people that are performing really well also need your contact. Otherwise, they start to feel ignored. Absolutely. And we all need a bit of recognition. We all need to know what we're doing well. Yeah. And then it, you get more of that great behaviour, don't you? The more that you're able to say, this is what you did well. This is the impact it had. You know, I'd love to see that again or whatever. So I think it's really important not to ignore the great performers as, as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, <clears throat> breaking it down and being really clear around what, what good performance can look like as well. I'm not saying, you know, you need to have a documentation and, you know, job performance standards for every single like role, project, task, like let's not get too um, prescribed and, and, and stuck in that, you know, for people to have an element of interpretation and um, an element of, you know, uh, doing what they also think is is right for them as well, their creative flair, I suppose. Um, but that, that kind of clarity and calling that out to your point when that's been done well, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I think it's people need to know specifically what it is that's going well or, or not. And I mean, for any managers that are new to managing that are listening, there are lots of models out there to help you structure your feedback. I mean, one that I tend to use, which is really simple, is SBI from Centre for Creative Leadership. So this is the situation. This is the behaviour that was observed. Here's the impact it had. And that works just as well for positive feedback and recognition. But it's much better than going, good job well, what, what did I do? You know, yeah. so I think you have to help people to be really specific about when you did this and this is what I saw and that's how that person reacted. And this is the impact it's had on the organization. It's so much richer, isn't it? So yeah. much. And I love the, the um, specific differentiation of behavior. Cause I do think, you know, again, this comes down to being really key about the language you use because the language will change the impact so much, you know, it can be so different. And I think by being really specific about it's the behavior that I'm witnessing so that you make it external and, and you make it about very specific practical things you can see that you can very much say, I witnessed this rather than this is what you were thinking or this is what you, you know, making it about the person because I think that's when you bring up the defensive so quickly. And this is definitely when the past, when I was getting this wrong, um, people would say to me, well, that's just me. That's just my personality. That's who I am. You're now criticizing me. You're now making it, you know, it would become yeah. so personal so quickly. And then I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm digging myself out of this ditch and I don't know where this is going and this is totally backfiring and I've lost them. Like you can just lose a person. And I think if, you know, it's only learning through the power of language and, and realising those fantastic tips of 
use behavior and focusing on behavior because you can see it and that can't be argued and you're making it about again connecting it to it you chose to behave like this so actually therefore you could choose to do something different you know it's I think that's so important yeah yeah and I think too um you just made me think of a point about imagine doing this virtually and you're having that reaction you know you can see someone in another room who started to get a little bit emotional and you are sat in a completely different place uh, and you're trying to wonder how you can manage it and if you're in the same room you know normally it's okay should we take a break do you want a tissue whatever it might be and I think it's thinking to yourself, how can I still have that conversation and, and create space for that person to manage their emotions? And, and some good, you know, just some really good techniques like apologizing, because you, it's not your intention to get somebody upset. So, you know, just straight away to say, I, I think I can see some emotion here. You know, I'm really sorry if I've had a part in that. Should we just take a break, grab a coffee and then come back? You can still do that virtually, um, but there has to be some sort of recognition of what you think you're seeing, even if it's what, what are you feeling right now? And see if someone will tell you. And they might go, well, really fed up, actually. I don't think you really understood what's going on at all. Great, at least you're hearing it. You know, just give them space. Let them speak. Let that emotion kind of come down a bit. It's still possible to do that virtually. I love that. I think that's a really great tip. And something that's probably quite easy to forget to do in the virtual mm-hmm. world. And I think for anyone who's nervous about doing it, who's, who's still quite new to it, it doesn't hurt to have a practice. And if you've got mm-hmm. someone you trust, it might be yeah. a peer or it might even be your own manager. Um, you know, I've got managers who I know have said, OK, I'm going to do this over Zoom with someone I trust and just prepare my opening kind of feedback, how I might give it. And then you take a time out and then that person says, well, this is how that made me feel. Um, how do you think it went? And you might even get them to give you some suggestions that you could try this phraseology or it might land better if you did this. And it's amazing how much better you feel just having had a run through before you go and do it yourself live. Yeah. And you'll feel more confident then opening up and the flow of the conversation. And, you know, it'll, it'll just build momentum from there. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about, I suppose, some of the um, similarities between how actually you, you can manage performance, whether that's really good performance or whether that's not so great performance virtually versus being in in that office face-to-face kind of uh, environment do you think there's anything new we've had to do as managers through having to now manage performance in a virtual uh, environment that we didn't have to necessarily do before when we were in the office it's a really good question um Quite honestly, I'm not sure. I, I think there definitely probably are things. You know, my my as I was thinking about this in, in preparation for us chatting today, because um, I think, you know, I was thinking, well, have, have things changed a lot or not um, compared to when I was first virtually managing? Well, technology's changed. Of course it has. And I think technology actually may, and normally it's uh, technology enables things to happen but I do I do wonder because because technology seems to have moved on so quickly because of the pandemic you know there's so many more bells and whistles on different types of technology now I'm finding some of the managers that I'm training well quite a few of them know a lot more about technology than I do now you know one person was talking about how they're using Trello which I haven't used but apparently it it can help people to track progress which I think is a way of you know you have to be more mindful of how am I going to be able to see progress when I in the past I've done that being by being with somebody so I think there are some things that are coming out that 
people who are learning now and doing it for the first time will probably teach those of us that have been doing it for a while how to do things differently. But I think for me, the jury's out. I'm not sure yet. I'm sure there will be some things. I might, you guys might have seen some things yourself. I don't know if you're, you know, from, the, from your coaching and, and so on, if you're already getting a sense of that. But I think if you ask me that in six months' time, I think I'll have a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I think as well, you know, as we transition to an extent, maybe not fully back into that environment of working with each other face-to-face at some point, hopefully this year, it'll be interesting to see what elements of that that virtual ways of working around managing performance stay and sticks in our DNA of, and our approach around how we do that. And also which elements are new and, and um, perhaps weren't there when we were back in that environment, what, 12, 18 months ago. And I think the evolution of, of, of the way we just kind of lead and manage people in general has changed and is going to change still um and I think that definitely then can translate into this particular topic as well yeah I think you're right I, th- I think what where I am hearing some changes is around managers saying that they feel their roles become more pastoral so this element of caring about people being more overt so okay. they probably always did it when they were with them face to face but it was a bit ad hoc so making a cup of tea in the you know in the office kitchen oh how are you how was your night you know and then something comes up and they start chatting about it whereas now you have to de- deliberately have that conversation and make time for it as part of a more formal organized you know meeting it's it's not forgetting that those so-called softer skills actually have a real place in this and you have to be able to have those conversations so i think that that has evolved a little bit and i do wonder as you say when we go back in the office Will that still be happening? Because I imagine people are going to be sometimes working, maybe now it might be two days at home, two days in the office. Who knows? It's going to change. Yeah. So there'll be a bit more of a balance. So maybe they'll, they'll still carry on with some of these. When, when I'm working with someone more virtually, I will be still having these check-ins and thinking about people's well-being as well, which which all impacts performance. So we, we can't leave the other stuff at home just to focus on results. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so... um. I've got a, a, a kind of a final question, but um, Lisa, have you got anything else you'd like to ask Helen? No, I don't think so. My brain is swimming with all this good stuff. I think the biggest thing for me is it it doesn't have to be different. It can be exactly the same. And it's more about how you as a manager set yourself up to be intentional with your conversations and you discipline yourself to have them regularly so you can grow trust and a relationship to support both of you so that actually these conversations when it comes to performance both the celebratory kind and the challenging are part and parcel of what you do with one another on a on a daily weekly monthly basis and I think in in remembering that virtual doesn't create a barrier unless you let it so we're going to move on to summarizing your kind of three top tips for the listeners Helen but before we do is there anything else you would like to add on our the topic we've talked about today I think the only thing that came up for me um, that I haven't mentioned is that again it goes back to the longer term so really building that relationship but it's creating a climate where it's okay to to make mistakes and that's going to sound oh hang on a minute we don't want people to make mistakes well no we don't want them to make mistakes but um if anyone's interested in this look at look up psychological safety and amy edmondson's work from harvard um where it's a belief really that it's if we make a mistake we can put our hand in the air and say i I made a mistake and then you can move forward from it or if you disagree with the majority 
kind of decision, you can put your hand up and say, I disagree and this is why, and you're not scared to do it. Or if you're really stuck and you need help, again, you can put your hand up and say, I need help. And no one is going to ridicule you or make you feel bad because you need help. And if as a manager, you can create that environment, then people are going to come and talk to you whenever they need to, when things are going off the rails, rather than just hoping you don't notice. So I think that that is a really great thing to be thinking about as a manager. How do I do that? And partly it's about you being vulnerable yourself. And if you make a mistake, tell people in the team, I'm sorry, guys, I got that wrong. And yeah, I should have done it like this. And and, and people will look at you and think, well, you're human too. And so it's okay for me to admit my mistakes. And yes, that's true, whether you're working face to face or, or virtually. But for me, that's a really big one as well. Just make it safe for people to be normal and just say, I've done it wrong. and It's okay. Love that. That's yeah, that element of vulnerability yeah. is something that we've talked about quite a lot on this season of, of the podcast. And I know in probably in season two, we're going to be doing a whole episode on on that kind of vulnerability and leadership. Um, but that's a really valid point about creating that environment that it, it you know encourages people to open up and also for you to show that vulnerability as well and that safety that it's okay. Yeah really good one Helen I love it failure is a superpower that's what I say I'm like, like fail. F- first attempt in learning it's one, of the best, <laughs> yeah. it's one of the best acronyms I know it's actually probably the only one I can remember as well so to summarize our conversation then Helen what would be your three main top tips for our listeners out there around how to manage performance in this virtual world so the first one I would have is don't be frightened of it and recognize that you're just doing your best and you're a human being and if you're honest about that with your team and you set yourself up to be able to get feedback from the from them after you've had a conversation, it will go fine. You know, you're a human being. So don't be scared of it. Just get in there and have that conversation. That's the first thing. I think the second one is um, do what you can to really be attentive when you're talking to people. Um, and if you don't mind another book plug, but Nancy Klein wrote Time to Think, and it's a great book about how you listen. And, it's and a fantastic book. Love it. Yeah. Love Nancy Klein. Um, yeah. I've, I do too. And I've met her and had training from her. And she's an amazing woman. Oh, wow. But Super she, jealous. <laughs> yeah. She, um, it's, it's basically that people think best based on the attention that we give them. It's not so much putting the pressure on the individual to, to be able to think well. It's about if we really give them interaction, give them attention and don't interrupt them because she calls that intellectual vandalism which really hits home then we are making sure that they can say whatever they want and the very best question you can ask when someone's finished speaking is and what else do you have to say is there anything else or how do you feel so it's just giving them a chance to really get everything out there so I think giving attention um, particularly when you're virtual because often you get towards the end of a meeting and there is one more thing that person wants to say, and it will always be in the last five minutes that it comes up. So really give attention to that. That's really important. Um, and then the last one would be curiosity. So I, I mentioned it really early on, but I think going into a conversation from a position of, I don't know the reality here. I've got some facts. I've probably got a number of different stories I've put on top of those facts. I need to have a mindset of curiosity and know that this person, who, who's going to do anything deliberately wanting to make mistakes or not do well they're not you want people to do well so go in there with a curious mindset ask questions to really understand the situation once you understand it better you can then use coaching questions to help the person help themselves and if they really don't know what they need to do then you can give them some suggestions but curiosity is my third 
Brilliant. Great Thank tips, you. Helen. Some great tips there. Um, and we'll get them up on our high tech uh, whiteboard. Ooh, which, the whiteboard. <laughs> which forms part of every episode. So we, we uh, bring to life the, the top tips. But uh, there's some great stuff there, hopefully, and uh, for the listeners to take away and uh, really tangible stuff for them to implement if they're facing or thinking about how to manage performance. And that can be, like we said, both great performance and also not so great performance uh, and managing that and implementing that in, in the world that we now find ourselves in. Um, Helen, thank you so much. Uh, I've in, in, really enjoyed and loved chatting to you today. I've learned so much myself as well. Uh, you really are an, an expert in this area and we really have appreciated you coming on to the coaching cast and talking to, to Lisa and I today. Thank you so That's much, Helen. Thank, thank you. you. I really enjoyed it. It's been great to have a conversation and obviously you two have got so much experience as well. So it's been nice to share it between us all. Brilliant. Thank, thank you. you. It's now time for this week's listener question. This is where you, the listener, send us your workplace dilemmas or questions, and we we try our best to answer them and offer some suggestions. This week's listener question is from Sophie in Kent. Hi, Lisa and Susie. This is Sophie from Kent. Thank you so much for the podcast. Um, loving your work. Thanks. My question is related to part-time working. I have just I started a new job. I've come back from my second maternity leave and I am currently working three days a week, partly due to limited childcare because of COVID. And I've realised how much in my career up until now I've depended on just working really long hours and working really hard. And I need to be able to distinguish myself in a different way and become more impactful and effective in fewer hours somehow. Um, so any tips you've got on how to do that and also how to foster the same kind of effectiveness and work-life balance in the team uh, that, I, that I manage and also managing upwards, uh, my managers. That would be awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you very much, Sophie. Really appreciate you sending that question through and a lot to process within it as well. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. So... Susie, do you want to kick us off with this one? Yes. Um, so Sophie, thank you for um, sending through this question. I can 100% relate to your question. Um, this was and is me. <laughs> so I have ha- gone through a similar experience having worked full time uh, and long hours uh, in, in quite a you know a, a substantial position and then went and had um, my son and then ha- gone back into um, my corporate career working three days a week and now I work for myself and um, still working kind of formally three days a, work, a week but trying to also navigate stuff that kind of comes in as well as looking after my little boy So I can 100% relate to the challenges that you're facing. And if I'm honest, I think it is a continual challenge for me as well. So I'm going to share some kind of hints and tips that have have maybe worked for me. But um, I think I'm certainly not an expert or have also nailed it myself yet, because I think it is a really challenging one, especially in these times with COVID where 
your access to um, childcare, informal childcare especially, is a lot more limited. So the things that have worked for me um, kind of currently and, and also previously in my corporate career, um, and the, the first thing I would say is think about um, ensuring and, and having a really clear and defined workload and responsibilities that reflect the fact you are now working three days a week. And, and that might seem like a really obvious thing to suggest, but actually, I think when you're surrounded by people who predominantly work full time, having to kind of um, make some really clear um, boundaries around what your workload looks like within those three days, you know, it's, it can't be a full time workload because you're not there full time. So making sure you've had that conversation with um, your line manager or key stakeholders and that you've both signed off on what that um, those roles and responsibilities look like and those deliverables are for those three days that you are there. The second thing I would say is um, you talk in your question about, you know, historically having worked long hours in, in, your, in your job. I'm going to kind of call it out there because I think you are working long, that long hours now. <laughs> so parenting is long it involves long hours and it's it's tough and it's the one well, it's it is a full-time job so you are also doing a full-time job in that capacity as well so I think that mindset shift a little bit in the fact that yes you are working in formal employment three days a week but also those other days you are also working long hours in um you know, parenting, and, and that is a full-time job. So I would ask you to just have a think about how you perhaps um, rebalance some of that in, in your mind. And then the other kind of suggestion I would have is I have on my email signature um, a, a little line at, at the bottom, which I say, I work flexibly. So I'm sending this email at a time that suited me. Um, but I don't expect you to respond at that time. And actually, what I found is if I then need to log on either early doors or late at night um, in order to kind of get stuff done or and that's my choice to do that, I don't then feel um, pressure that I'm putting an expectation out there to, to colleagues or team or stakeholders that they then need to respond at that moment in time just because it works for me. Um, so I'd encourage you maybe to have a think about how you could do that and, and, and put that into perhaps your either your email signature um, or in your calendar. And on the, on the subject of calendar, actually, I also um, put in appointments. So I would put like drop off at nursery, pick up at nursery and put it on an open setting so that if anyone was going in my calendar to arrange a, a meeting, um, they would see it in there. And so they wouldn't hopefully then put um, meetings in which would compromise me being able to leave to go and either pick up my son or um, that I you know, wouldn't be back dead on for nine if I had a, a drop off, for example. And I found that worked really well, actually, because people were just clear around the expectations of your working day and how that works. Um, it's hard. And I don't think as a working mum, you ever feel like you always have the balance right. I certainly don't. Um, but I think perhaps just think about some of those more practical hints and tips to just help you um, move forward. So yeah, Elisa, have you, got, have you got anything that you would like to kind of offer up to Sophie? So I think the only thing I've got to add to that is just a couple of questions really for Sophie to consider. I think the first one is a challenge 
from me, which is what's giving you the sense that you need to be more impactful and effective in fewer hours. So who says that you have to do that? Yeah. I think just check yourself around that. And I think to, well, to add to that, it's if you were being more impactful and effective right now, I think what would be happening is my first question. So what would be happening? What would your team be saying to you? And then also what would your manager be saying to you if you were being more impactful and effective right now? And how would you be feeling? And I think just reflecting on the answers to those questions, consider then the insights that that's now given you. So what have you learned and what action or are you going to take or what will you do differently, both for yourself and then also with your team and with your manager? Brilliant. And if those of you who are listening have your own thoughts in respect of this particular question and challenge that Sophie shared and would like to share or have a question for us to answer yourself that you would like us to feature in an episode, then please get in touch. Email us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or you can send us a message on Instagram by looking up at the coaching cast. It's now time for Bullshit Bingo, where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which quite frankly make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo is, drum roll please, Helicopter View, sent to us by Claire on email. So thanks, Claire, for this absolute classic Helicopter View. Um, Lisa, what are your thoughts on this week's bullshit bingo? I think helicopters are really dangerous. <laughs> Have you ever been in one? Yeah. I've, Have I've you? Been, yeah, I wouldn't repeat it in a rush. No. I mean, just to add to like the general sense that I'm sure our audience has of my middle-class status, um, I have flown in a helicopter over the Grand Canyon in uh, America in between two storms, I might add. It was terrifying. Wow. But also brilliant. Um, But yeah, very scary. They are precarious vehicles of transport. I've also been, had the privilege of um, going in a Huey, you know, like a apocalypse now type scenario i mean it wasn't like apocalypse now there wasn't literally like napalm going off around me or anything i mean i've got an image now of of kind of something from a movie yeah i mean it really wasn't that glamorous i think i held on for dear life and closed my eyes for most of it because i'm scared (laughs) to go um but those things fly really close to the ground so all i'm saying is what does helicopter view mean? Because does this mean that you're close to the floor? Does it mean you're high up above? I mean, I think helicopter, you could be swinging all over the place. If you're caught like I was between two storms, I mean, that is not a good place to be. I, I, I don't really understand it. Some sort of elevation, get like a better perspective, a bit broader. Is this what this yeah. is? Yeah, I think that's probably what it's talking about. But I agree, you could be in a place of like anxiety because you're thinking, oh my God, I'm in this, like it, it, this could crash at any moment in time. I'm in between a storm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's what it, it it's about is 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 uh, coming out of the detail and kind of going higher up and looking looking down on things. I think, but I don't, I'm not sure. But I, I think that's what it is. But um, I when I read it, I just thought of this. Can you see my little helicopter? Here's my little. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should use that in in meetings. I mean, that would talk about a David Brent moment. Bring on like the little helicopter, helicopter view. Let's just, let's just sweep this little helicopter around the situation. Like, 
how does this helicopter <laughs> allow us to come out of the detail i think more strategically i mean it's a cute little helicopter it's called it's got a name actually called hallie hallie the helicopter hallie oh yeah it's a bit of an unusual <clears throat> so name. if you're doing a helicopter view like you could say you're doing a hallie maybe um but yeah so uh, I just uh, thought I'd bring that into the conversation. Thanks for that, Claire. Great <laughs> Thanks, one. Claire. We are coming to the end of today's episode where we've discussed managing performance in a virtual environment. And that can be both great performance and also not so great performance. So our main top tips um, from today and our conversation with the amazing Helen was um, the following for you to go away and try. So the three top tips that Helen mentioned in her chat with us was number one, don't be frightened of having a conversation. Just go and do it. Number two, make sure you give attention to the other person within that conversation around performance. And make sure you plan into that conversation that you ask, is there anything else you would like to talk about or include? So that the person, uh, other person feels like they are have been given the opportunity to talk about everything that's important to them. And tip number three, try and have a curious mindset to help understand the reality better for the other person that you are talking to. So those are the three main top tips from today's episode around managing performance in a virtual environment. And thanks again to Helen Franklin for her brilliant conversation with us today. We also uh, like to try and offer you uh, three questions to take away and ask yourself uh, and also ask of other people if you want to as well, because this is a, a coaching podcast. So our three questions for you this week are number one, what performance conversations do you need to have? Number two, what is the outcome you would like from these conversations? And number three, what is the conversation you really need to have, but you haven't had yet? And how can you make this conversation easier for you? And remember, all three of those questions are applicable if you're having a conversation around great performance, but also a conversation around not so good performance as well. Remember, you can try these on yourself first to practice and get comfortable and then give it a go with those that you manage. We hope you enjoyed today and have some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. So please contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard, then give us a follow on Instagram, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and most importantly, subscribe to future episodes wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for The Coaching Cast. In our next episode, we'll be discussing the topic of boundaries. So tune in to that one. We both love music and we use it to motivate and energize us. So we like to finish each episode with our personal song recommendation, giving you positivity and energy as you launch into your next Zoom or Teams meeting. 
It's my choice this week, and I have chosen an absolute classic, which is Fix You by Coldplay. Tune. Love this. It reminds me of being at university. Yeah, and me. That's so why much I so. It. Yeah, I can. So I, can I can see exactly where I was when this came out. I was a. Oh well, I said I'm a huge Coldplay fan. This is a great one. Really is. So go and give it a listen wherever you listen to your music. Thanks everybody so much for listening to today's episode. Have a great week and remember, you've got this. <laughs>